John chapter 1, we're only going to get the first three verses this Sunday. Hopefully each chapter doesn't take this long, but three verses today. So if you have your Bible, uh, let's stand and read the word of the Lord this morning, reading from the New King James Version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that it impacts our lives, increases our faith, empowers us to do what you've called us to do and be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In my early years as a Christian, I often would remember as I was growing and studying God's word and had no idea I would ever become a pastor someday that anytime you talk to somebody who you looked at as spiritual and you ask them, you know, what should I be reading? How do I know more? How do I learn about Jesus? The common answer that people would give would be that they would recommend you to read the Gospel of John. Probably the number one most referred to book is the Gospel of John. Years later, as a pastor, if people were to, somebody was to ask me, I want to know more about Jesus, I want to know, know more about the, the ministry of Jesus, who he is and what he did, I would probably refer them, first and foremost, this many years later, to the Gospel of John. It's a special book that was written, who we believe to be John. Most of you may not know, or some of you know, that uh, all of the Gospels were written by an anonymous writers. And yet it's attributed throughout history to who wrote those books. And so when it comes to this book, uh, it was written, as we know by the book, as an unnamed disciple whom Jesus loved. But he gives uh, credit to himself as he kind of shows who he is throughout the story. But uh, the source that comes through tradition and is believed to be by most scholars is that it was written by the Apostle John. If you're looking for the uh, proof of the Gospel of John and how close it was to the actual writings, this is one book in the Bible that, was, has, that we have a copy of, or we have a, a piece of, dating back to A.D. 150. Now, I don't know if that doesn't probably mean anything to many of you, but that's important because it wasn't believed that John wrote his gospel until about A.D. 90 to somewhere around A.D. 110. And so within 40 years, what he had written was so copied that we have a copy of that today to prove that it is that close to the original writing. That means something to most scholars. It was one of the last books of the New Testament written which also means that John had the opportunity in his latter years, because he lived to be, uh, out of all the others who were martyred for their faith, he lived to be an older man, and he had the opportunity to read what Matthew, Mark, and Luke would have written, and he wrote his to be different than what is known as the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew would write his Gospel, and it shows that Jesus came through Abraham, through the lineage of David that would lead to what the Bible had predicted would be the Messiah. That's important to be able to, to show that throughout Scripture, that Jesus 
came from the lineage of David because the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. Mark wrote his Gospels to show that Jesus came from Nazareth, demonstrating that Jesus came as a servant. Luke wrote his Gospel to show that Jesus came from Adam, representing that he would be the perfect man. But John wrote his gospel showing that Jesus came from heaven, meaning that Jesus is God. So why is this book the, you know, book that people get referred to more than any other book? John would write near the end of his letter these words in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, which essentially summarize the whole reason for why he wrote what he wrote. When he says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things are written. That's, this is why he has written these things. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, which is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John's whole intent for writing this letter is to give such a clear portrait of who Jesus really is so that people will believe in him and be able to attain the fullness of life that Jesus offered. I think that's so important for us to understand. In today's world, so many Christians are hanging by a thread. Their faith is dangling. We get caught up in adding Jesus to our life rather than making Jesus our life, the center of our life. He just becomes a part of who we are and a part of what we do. And in that, we miss the abundance that he promises, that he came to give life, abundant life, and eternal life. That's the fullness of life. And so John writes this gospel. It's not just an evangelistic letter hoping to get a bunch of people saved. He was writing it to awaken the faith in unbelievers, but he's also writing it to sustain the faith of believers. Why would he write to sustain the faith of believers who Jesus is? I don't know about you, but there's times, especially in my early faith, that I would go through challenging things and I would start to question my faith. Is Jesus real? Is there really a God? I believed, but I would have these questions pop into my head. Coming out of four years of college and being taught, you know, pretty much everything that goes against religion and against Christianity, I started to study because I really wanted to know, was there such a man named Jesus that walked the face of the earth? And I soon found out that most scholars, whether religious scholars or secular scholars, agree There was a man named Jesus who lived in, they call it Palestine, Israel, that he historically walked on this earth. There is very little question of a man named Jesus who has now influenced the world. But the biggest question that scholars have and other religions even have, religions who we'll get into in a little while that question whether Jesus was God. They might say that he was a great teacher, that he was a great prophet. They acknowledge that he was on the face of the earth, that he was somebody that was special, but they would never go so far as to say that Jesus is God. And this was a question even in the days that John would write his letter, which would lead him to battle that thought 
to battle that argument and proclaim from the very beginning, no, understand this, Jesus is God. And so he starts his letter with describing Jesus as the word. Everybody say word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, the most important thing, of course, as we begin this is to understand about the word is it's in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And he goes on in verse 17 and he begins to describe that the word that he's relating this to, the person he's relating the word to is clearly Jesus Christ. This is a book about the life and the work of the man, Jesus Christ. Understand and try and put yourself in his shoes. This is somebody that John knew. This is somebody that he walked with, that he talked with, that he listened to, that he followed after. This is somebody that he looked up to. This is somebody that he allowed to guide his life. This is somebody that he describes as a person that he actually touched, that he, he ate with, that he walked miles with, and that he saw grew tired as a man. And he's proclaiming him. To not just be a good man, a good teacher, a good prophet, but he's saying this is the awaited Messiah that all of the Jews have looked for for over 2,000, 4,000 years, thousands of years for this Messiah to come upon the face of the earth. Do you guys even understand, like John wants us to be blown away in this moment. That would be like, can I have Daryl come up real quick for those who know Daryl? I've walked with Daryl. I've talked with Daryl. We've traveled together many miles. That would be like you all recognize the bald guy that sits up front on the first pew. You recognize his cooking and, you know, the, the things that some of you may know about Daryl. And some of you may not know Daryl, but you know of Daryl. And that would be like me writing a book and saying, Daryl is God. Would you guys be like, what? Just admit, throw away everything you know right now and put yourself in John's shoes as he writes his letter to a bunch of people. He's trying to get them to fully understand who Jesus is, to think that it was somebody that walked with him, that talked with him, somebody that it says that he laid his head on his shoulder at the dinner table, somebody that he was close to, that he shared probably his most, you know, biggest secrets of life with, somebody that he drew from. It is somebody that was flesh and blood that he's now proclaiming to the rest of the world, no, don't miss this. He walked with me and he talked with me, but he is God. We look in hindsight and it's not a big deal to us. To John, who's writing these letters, like these people, some of these people may have known of him. There was disciples of the disciples. And so you could see how the battle might be in their head. Was Jesus really God? My wife and I were watching part of uh, the series, The Chosen. And we were watching this episode, and this is one thing, whether you think the series is good or not, doesn't matter to me. There's aspects of it that I like. 
And one thing that it brought about is when Jesus was in his own hometown and very few people received miracles, right? Everywhere that people traveled or that Jesus traveled, people were healed. In fact, you don't see anybody that wasn't healed that that came to Jesus. Even a woman that would just reach out and touch the hem of his garment without him realizing it is healed. Yet Jesus would go to his own hometown. And it's easy for us, 2,000 years later, most of us having heard the stories, many of us having read the word of God, to sit there and cast judgment on the people that were in the hometown of Jesus. But can you possibly imagine if you grew up with Daryl and Daryl came back one day and he came and said, you know, bring me your burdened and your heavy laden, those who are sick in body. And you'd be like, who the heck are you? Beelzebub? Admit it. We rip on those people that thought the things of Jesus and the things that he did were from the devil. These people knew him. These people watched him grow up. These people seen that he was flesh and blood, that he made messes, that he was a little kid. These people saw him grow as, you know, a a teenager, what we would view as a teenager. These people knew who Jesus was as a man. Don't think for a second you wouldn't have questioned to some degree who Jesus really was and potentially struggled with believing that all of a sudden this guy that you've known for 30 years watched him, watched his diapers get changed, is all of a sudden the savior of the world and claims to be equal with God. There's these questions in people's minds. And there's still questions that people have today. I think it's relevant for us to look at this because if you've read anything scholarly, you would know almost all historians believe that there was a man named Jesus that walked the face of the earth. The real question that people have to answer, and if they answer it with a yes, is, was Jesus God? Because if you believe that he was God, then it will radically change your life, either for good or you'll be well aware when the real bad comes. This is who he's writing about. And so why did he choose to call Jesus right off the bat the word? When you and I hear the word word, I don't know what you think. You're probably too Christianized to get beyond thinking anything other than Jesus. But the truth is when you hear the word word and it's just used like what's that word and you just heard the word word does that make sense you would probably think that of the definition of word that it's an expression of language that it's it's something that's used as a part of the english language and it's an expression of thought i mean and so it's it's used to help us communicate with each other more clearly if you come from the 80s or the 90s or I don't know when, when they came out with, you know, people that would use it for slang, they would say, word, word up, right? What in the world would word mean? When, you're, when somebody's talking and somebody looks at them and says, word, truth, exactly. Ironically, the slang of the word in English 
is truth. It's like saying, yeah, 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 speak it. It's like, almost like people shouting yes and amen and, and get like, word, come on, somebody, word. It's like they're, spe- they're agreeing with it. There's an agreeance to the truth. That's just in the slang of the word. But if you look at why John might have wrote it, you go back to the Jews, and you know that the Jews did not like to use the name of the Lord. They wouldn't write it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say it. And so they would often come up with substitutions. Or they, would, they wouldn't say, I mean, the name of God. And so in order to replace the name of God, they would often say the word of the Lord. And so instead of saying that God came to Isaiah, they would say the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. They would always describe what God was doing by saying it was his word. Does that make sense? So the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. And so they would describe that in such a way that pretty soon they began to replace the name of God with simply the word, word. So to a Jew, to hear the word, they wouldn't just think of the expression of God, which there's an amazement to that, that the word would be the expression of God's thought, but they would relate it to the name of God. To the name of God. Now listen, he wasn't just writing to Jews. John, by this time, was also writing to what we've learned over the last few weeks as Gentiles, Greeks, to people who were outside of the Jewish faith. Do you know that the Greeks had a word for word also that many of you guys would know very well called logos? Do you know this, that their word for word, logos, was more than just a word in a sentence? But they believed that there was some sort of uh, impersonal, invisible, powerful force that controlled the order of the universe, the order of the world. And they would describe that force as something that brought things into order, such as in the sun and the moon and how they rotate after each other day and night in the seasons and how they rotate through and there's a constant order that takes place in the world. And you know what they called that impersonal, powerful force? Logos, the word. So as John begins to write this letter to explain to Jews and Greeks about Jesus, it's not by accident that he would start the very beginning with explaining the word. For years, you guys have been describing Jews and Greeks as the word, this force, this being, this God. And I'm here to tell you today who the word is. And he says the word is Jesus. Now, ultimately, why does he call Jesus the word? Because he's come to see the words of Jesus as being truth. He's, become, he's come to see the person of Jesus as being truth. They are so closely related that he cannot separate them. Jesus himself used it interchangeably when he would tell his disciples, if you abide in my word, and later on he would tell his disciples, if you abide in me. He interchanged the idea of the word with himself. And John would come to know Jesus' words as being Jesus himself. 
And so when you take a look at, at this idea that he's writing about, we're going to look at four things this morning about the word. Number one, the word's existence. The existence of the word. It says, in the beginning. Everybody say, in the beginning. In the beginning is obviously a clear allusion to what the Jews would have known as the first book of the Bible in Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning. Everybody would have related back to that. But John wants to inform us that Jesus wasn't just born on uh, the date of zero. That's a joke. They didn't have it. Thanks for the courtesy laugh. Wasn't just born when he was born, but he wants them to understand that Jesus was there in the beginning. And here's where we need to understand, because there's, there's different faiths that teach different things about Jesus. Christians, if you're a Christian and you know what you believe, you believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is eternal, that Jesus never had a beginning and he doesn't have an end. But there are other aspects of religions that call themselves Christian or would claim to be Christian that would teach something completely different. And there's many people today that don't even know what it means to really be a Christian. What do I really believe? If you were to be asked, like, yes, you believe in Jesus, but what does that mean? It should mean that you believe that Jesus is God. Not that he began in the beginning, but in the beginning the word was, meaning he already existed. He was already there in the beginning, that there's been a continuity of, of who Jesus is. And, and before all of you start thinking, yeah, I already know this, uh, put your shoes in the shoes of somebody, like I said before, who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and was a friend of Jesus, realizing this man is not his age. He may have started his ministry when he was, quote, 30 years old, but the man is not 30 years old. When you're describing this, you're trying to explain to them that we look at him as 30, but the truth is that he's eternal. It's mind-blowing for anybody who could really try and grasp that. The second aspect of this is the word's identity. What was his identity? We're going to skip to the last part of verse 1. The word was God. Everybody say God. See, at the end of verse 1, we see the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was and is God. Scriptures back this up from other writers. 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul would write to Timothy and say, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, everybody say God, was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. By the writings of Paul, if any faith teaches through the New Testament Gospels, Paul himself, who wrote two-thirds of them, would fight with anybody to help us to understand that it was God who was manifested in the flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 23, 
Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. The writer of Matthew fully believed that Jesus is God. You can see throughout the stories of Jesus in all of the Gospels that Jesus forgave sins, that he received, uh, he received worship. And those things, as the Pharisees would argue to kill Jesus for, were taboo because it was only something that was reserved for God himself, they thought. And so they thought Jesus was being blasphemous. But we believe that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. Now, you might be challenged at some point in your faith, and I hope that you are because challenges in our faith help us grow. And I'm going to throw this out there for a few people, that the people that might challenge you that Jesus is God would be Jehovah's Witness, Unitarians, or even Muslims. Now, there's a slim chance we have too many Muslims in the Silver Valley that are going to challenge your faith. But they all believe in the person of Jesus, just not the deity of Jesus, that he is God. And they will tell you that because of a mistranslation that they believe took place in the Bible, where it says that Jesus was God. They believe it says Jesus was a God, which is very odd because if he's just a God and they all believe in monotheism, which is one God, then they are making allowance for there to be plural, which would be multiple gods, right? So it would kind of go against what they themselves would even teach. But this translation, and I'm not going to go into this this morning because it would bore probably half of you. You can go on Google, look it up. I, I would hope that you would be able to explain this, understand it for yourself, and explain it to somebody that might come and challenge you on this verse someday, that when it came to the translators leaving out the word the right there, and that's why they put the word a right there, uh, that putting the letter a before God actually violates all the laws of Greek grammar, and any serious theologian, somebody who translates Greek, you can look this up and verify it for yourself, would say that it's a complete mistranslation to put the letter A before the word God. I read in an article explains this in far more detail uh, than, than I can give you today that it says literally no real Greek scholar would ever translate that sentence as saying a God. It's literally God. He was and is God. The identity of the word is God. Which brings me back to the middle of verse 1. The word's relationship with God. The word was, everybody say, with. Say with. Just because I know that I could be getting boring this morning, and I know this is a foundational teaching. I need you guys to stay awake. So we have the word was in the beginning. He had a continuity, so he was not made in the beginning, which is important for us to understand, but he was in the beginning, in the beginning, that he was already there, that his identity is God, and then he has in the middle of this that he was with God. 
So how, why does John write this? How could God be with God except for he is trying to explain for those who believe in the Trinity the three persons of God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I'll say that most of you, I've met with people who don't understand Pentecostalism. There's two sides of Pentecostalism. One side believes in the Trinity. Another side believes in what we call holiness or the, the oneness side, that it's three expressions versus three persons. And so... Uh, I know people very well that love Jesus fully, and they can believe on either one of those sides, but oneness people in general, not all, would believe that many Trinitarians are serving plural gods, multiple gods, and they're not, some of them aren't saved. Had a guy trying to get me saved one time because he was at a revival there. But the same is in effect for the opposite side. I don't think we understand the fullness of God in our little finite human mind, and I don't really care. I know that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's what's matter. That's what matters. And therefore, we have the Word was with God, meaning Jesus. He's, John is introducing the second person of the Godhead as Jesus Christ. They're both identified as God, and Jesus was there with him side by side. The word Jesus Christ was with God. What does that mean? The word with has to do with intimacy, believe it or not. It means that he was near. He was face to face. That there's such a closeness uh, of them being together that their thoughts, their meanings, their purpose were one. Now think about this. Jesus Christ, the one that John saw walk on the face of the earth, he is saying, was with God. He was God. He is God. He has a relationship with God. He is in the image of God. He is perfectly reflecting all that God is and standing forth from all of eternity as the fullness of deity in a distinct person. He dwelt in the flesh on the face of the earth. And add to this that Jesus Christ, the Son, in intimate face-to-face, -face, unbroken, unparalleled, unmatched fellowship with the Father, gave it all up to come to this earth to be with you and I, to reconcile that relationship. That's his connection, the word's connection with God. What was the word's connection with the world? Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, all which is repeated for a second time, probably for a purpose, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. What's that saying? It's important for us to understand this. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us, who taught us, who healed us, rebuked us, protected us, loved us, died for us, was resurrected to build a bridge back to God for us, was also the creator of us, the creator of all of the universe, it says in this verse, John wants us to be aware that he created all things. Now, yes, if you read through Genesis, there was another one who was acting through the word, right? God spoke, and it was his word that created. That word is related to Jesus himself, but the word is God. Therefore, we should never diminish who Christ is by thinking he's anything less than the creator of all things himself. 
He was the father's agent in Genesis 1. He created all things. He created the world, your Savior, your Lord, your friend. Jesus is your maker. Now, suppose one of the people who don't believe Jesus is God wants to debate with you that Jesus himself was created. That's part of their beliefs. So listen, if you have any friends that are Jehovah's Witness or outliers of Christianity, they believe that Jesus, there's some that believe that Jesus is a God, that he was created in the beginning by God, and then he created the rest of creation. It was like he was the first of creation. That's a, a, that's a typical explanation. Jesus was the, the first of creation, or he was the highest of the high angels. And this is why John would write in verse 3 precisely in this way. In the last part of verse 3, what does he say? He didn't just say that all things were made through him. He threw in this second part, not to repeat himself or just to give better explanation, but to meet an argument in theology at that time, that without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. So anything that was made, so if you believed that Jesus was made, then he couldn't have made himself. Does that make sense? Nothing that was made was made, right, without him. So anything that was ever made was made by Jesus. It's explicit. It's emphatic. It's crystal clear that in the category of made, Christ made it. Christ was not made. The word was, is, and always will be. Jesus Christ is God. Now, I'm going to close. I'm keeping this short today. I want us to see that the word will be with us even until the end. You know, the Apostle John, we believe, wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Do you guys know that he wrote one more fairly impactful letter of the Bible? The book of Revelation. And so he describes the return of Jesus in Revelation 19.13. This is Jesus returning. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. In the very end, he's still alluded to as the Word of God. Two verses later, John says, in Revelation 19:15 he says now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations what's he saying here comes the word of god riding on a horse with a robe that's been dipped in blood and what is he about to strike the nations with it's alluded to in other books of the bible as the sword of the spirit he's about to strike the nations with the power of the word coming forth from his mouth. The power of the word is so united with Jesus himself. John says that Jesus doesn't have a sword, that Jesus doesn't just have a sword of God's word coming out of his mouth, but that he is the word of God. That there's a oneness to that. And so as John begins his gospel, he has in view all of the revelation all of the truth, all the witness that he has seen, all the glory, all the light, all the words that have come out of Jesus, 
in his living, his teaching, his dying, and his rising. And he sums up all that revelation of God with a name. And that name is the Word. The first, the final, the ultimate, decisive, absolutely true, and reliable Word. That is who our Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Knowing that in the end days there will be a lot of deceptive teachings, yet those deceptive teachings have been since the days of the early church that would cause John to write this letter to a people who questioned the deity of Jesus Christ. The same questions many people struggle with today. Lord, I pray as we begin to examine your word, the gospel of John, over the next several months, that you will make who you are more clear, more relevant, more intimate, and more powerful in our lives. That we will know, understand, and be empowered by who you are. Fully man, fully God, who gave up everything to restore relationship with us. Lord, we thank you for your word. I just pray today that we would have a greater understanding and be able to stand strong on the foundation of who you are. In Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray.